0: I want to be able to do something tomorrow. And if that means using the fan bike, if that means walking at a 15 degree grade for 25 minutes and doing something, doing the best I can right now with with what I'm capable of doing has to be enough. Otherwise, I will destroy the world. I will just take a flamethrower to this place if I don't have something to do physically for myself so that I can be more available to the people who need me, the communities that need me, and be the kind
1: of man I need to be for myself. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Freedom Solar Power. When I first started looking into solar, I thought it would be a clunky and expensive process. I've learned it isn't nearly as hard as you think. Freedom Solar Power makes it simple. They provide a turnkey solution that is focused on educating their customers on the experience from installation to everyday use and savings. They ensure you have all the information needed to make sure going solar is right for you. From firsthand experience, it makes sense both financially and for the environment. With no down payment required, solar not only adds immediate value to your home, but it's also great for the environment and might even provide immediate savings, not to mention the year-end tax benefits, a credit of 26% this year. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida, and there are plenty of other great options nationwide. Thank you to Hydro for sponsoring this episode. Hydro is an immersive workout experience designed to bring the physical, mental, and emotional experience of on-water rowing straight to your home. Hydro workouts are quick, efficient, and low impact. Rowing for just 20 minutes a day provides you with a full body workout, which engages 86% of your major muscle groups. For context, cycling engages 44%. Head to hydro.com to check them out. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com to learn more. Be sure to use the code FTLR100 to save $100 on your order. Thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. From their versatile session tops cut from a soft stretch knit to Lane 5 and Reggie short tights perfect for racing a marathon, these pieces are built to work as hard as you do. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me, people who know that the best part of a busy day is squeezing in a workout. They offer products for training, racing, and rest days, which you know I'm a fan of and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run will receive free shipping and 5% of the purchase amount will be donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help find a cure and support those living with Parkinson's. Like right, 86 like, well, 86 like, different yeah, ways.
0: Yeah, because like, if you look, it's like S H E A R E R. I guess it depends on what region you're from or what so that, I don't know. How many sheep you had. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus.
1: So, welcome back. Today we have Alan Shearer joining us on the podcast today. Alan and I um, last connected on episode 86, and this is going to be like 200 and something in the two teens. So, we've quite a lot has changed since then. So, Alan, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking some time to chat and let's talk about how things have, have changed since uh, July of 2020.
0: Sure. I'll, I'll give you a rundown for those who didn't listen to episode 86. My name is Alan Shearer. I'm 48 years old and I see myself as a runner. I see myself as a, a runner who battles uh, mental illness, uh, addiction. You know, and I haven't been able to run for the past two years because I overran and then I didn't listen to my body and slow down and rest and get help and all those things you need to do uh, when you become injured. And so for the past, since like August of uh, 19, uh, it's been difficult for me to run without pain. And so it's, uh, it's been a weird kind of finding ways to, to stay moving, to stay mentally fit through movement. Um, without running,
1: so Alan and I met—I don't know, ten years ago, almost ten years ago at this point. point—and yeah. at the time, he was running Harvard Stadium not once, not twice, <laughs> five <laughs> a and, lot. and ten times, yeah, um, a lot. on occasion. And I've always known Alan as being someone to just get after it and grit through pain and push and push and push. And to hear you talk about like having to pull back, um, we so often hear from people who are through it and who have come out the other side, as they say, and learned and and all this and we very rarely hear people like in the thick of it um so first, thank you for volunteering your time and being so willing to to share this feedback um, for those who who didn't listen to or who haven't listened or have joined the For the Long Run community since since the beginning of the pandemic or the middle or later and and are new to to these conversations. Um, Alan and I had a, a long and, and deep chat about all of these things and much more at a time when there was so much uncertainty in the world and we still have a lot of uncertainty in the world. Um, but it'll be really interesting that, that these next uh, 45 to 60 minutes or so to sort of reflect on where where things have gone for you while also having the consistency of like, you really just wanna run. Um, so talk to me about first, why, cause you you suggested we have this conversation as, as round two. Why?
0: Because there are other people out there struggling and don't have a voice, haven't found their voice, um, may not feel strong enough in themselves to uh, reach out and look for support, find support, realize there is support. For all the different reasons why we're struggling, right? I'm struggling because I'm having some hip impingement issues, some patella tendonitis, some severe patella tendonitis from an injury that I got not from running, but from playing fast pitch softball in Watertown back in August of 2014 that I never got taken care of. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of scar tissue in there, and so if I can be a voice for those just as in uh, episode 86, all that great positive feedback you got back from everything that we talked about. Uh, it's my job. It really is my job as a human being to to leave this place better than I found it. And having this opportunity to talk with you as I'm going through something that's life-changing to me. You know, the best decision I made happened by accident. Um, on marathon weekend, uh, I was probably scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or something, and Uh, a notification popped up that Wellness in Motion Boston was going live from the expo. And I don't really click on anything, even if I'm completely enamored by who that Instagram handle is or who that company is or who that brand is. I'm not usually someone to go to a live video because I I don't usually listen to podcasts. I will be on all of them, but I don't really take the time to listen unless it's really important to me. And so it just, for some reason, it just felt like I should really click on this thing. And I clicked on it, and, and Ian, Dr. Ian Nurse, was talking about shockwave therapy. And I was like, where has this been my whole knee pain problem? Like, where, like, it was like I was supposed to do this, I was supposed to listen in and hear that they have this available, that it's not covered by insurance. Why isn't it covered by insurance? Because it, it's basically um, shockwave therapy is, um, Oh, uh, what's the word? It is a uh, ultrasound. So you can ultrasound for an image or you can ultrasound to break up scar tissue. And so now I now I asked you know Dr. Hannah Brucker, you know why isn't this covered by insurance? It's because I guess there's only like three places around that have one of these machines, one of these ultrasound machines that aren't being used for you know babies and things like that. Uh, but it like I got some some um, some therapy today. <laughs> And it really works like it was breaking up scar tissue. Like she's like, it could be a four. It could be a seven. Let me know if it's like a 10. And she's going, I'm like, yeah, four, five. No, that's a 10. Like, so like it was, it was really getting into dense scar tissue. Like if there's no scar tissue around, it doesn't really do anything to your muscles or anything negative, anything like that. But if there's any real dense uh, buildup of scar tissue, you'll know it. And so being able to do this and being able to get the right care for my injury, to be able to get the right care gives me this um, light at the end of the tunnel. It it allows me to see uh, the horizon. It it gives me hope that I can run again, hopefully with less to no pain moving forward.
1: So, yeah, so I I almost had shockwave for uh, stress reactions back in, at the beginning of 2020 I I didn't but I heard how uncomfortable it could be but I guess my my curiosity is more around the the uncertainty of the last 2 years of like you have this thing that has helped you in so many ways how did you like push on when you didn't have that hope oh man
0: like i i think the i think the thing that kept me going is The alternative is far worse. So I had to find other things, CrossFit, you know, uh, when we weren't going anywhere, we were in the midst of this pandemic, it was the home gyms, right? Getting, Getting equipment to create a home gym, right? To do all of these things, to keep moving, to keep my mind moving, because I know for a fact that an active body helps create a calmer mind. And so I was doing whatever, you know, burpees or whatever, but all this stuff was very uncomfortable. My left leg was kind of in apoplexy and didn't really want me to do anything, but I had to find ways where it was at least less uncomfortable for me to move. And so that took a lot of different things. That took riding my bike, walking, your CrossFit, uh, just functional training in general, whether it was dumbbells or balance work or or, or trying to keep my mind focused that it could get better. But finally, you know, around marathon weekend, I was finally at that place where I've done as much as I can. I've done scraping, right? I've got a power dot. I've got a a Theragun. I've got air relaxed boots. And it wasn't getting any better than I could allow it to be. With the knowledge I had from YouTube and, you know, uh, videos from Wellness Emotion Boston, knees over toes guy, uh, whatever, I realized that I couldn't do this on my own anymore. And thankfully, we have good insurance and we're both working so that, you know, having to do doing the shock wave therapy is expensive. It's $150 a, a pop. But it, it's, it gives me that hope because there are people out there smarter than me I need to allow them to help me. I need to get out of my own way. I need to understand that I can't do it alone, nor should I try. And it doesn't matter what that is. Coming back from an injury, my mental health, uh, my addiction to alcohol, I need to find communities. I need to find support. I need to allow people to be there to support me. And that means being less stubborn.
1: It's interesting you you frame it in this way, right? Like we're talking about running, but if you remove the running aspect of it, like what you just said is how to succeed at life, right? Like you've framed, I need to ask for help. I need to find experts. I need to find, like that's all important for the health of a runner, but it's also like, that's the epitome of being human, right? Asking for help, pushing on, doing things that are uncomfortable. Um, things like that and so that that's one of the reasons I love running so much because it's not about the motion of running sometimes it is um, but it's more about the the parallels and carryovers into life and if you can if you can play around in this sandbox of running and see progress like that you can definitely see the same or similar carryovers in life so when when you talk about it in this way do you ever zoom out and be like wait this is actually how I've managed to get to year 48. In life, do do you have that reflection ever?
0: Oh yeah, always. Um, I'm always reflecting on where I've been and where I'm going, and how do I leave this place better than than when I'll unfortunately leave? You know, what can I do? What kind of communities can I become part of? What can I share in? What can I bring myself to communities? What can I? Uh, what kind of people will I allow myself to get to know that I might not usually get to know? So that's why you know the free fitness world is such a great community because it's vast right? It's not just runners. It's not just elite athletes. It's everyday people, right? It's, it's soccer moms, it's high school coaches, it's, Grandmas, grandpas, some of them may be elite athletes, but that kind of goes by the wayside once you start, you know, doing things with other people like free fitness, like running. You know, I like to be in the back of the pack and, uh, you know, at November Project, Brogan would yell at me a lot because I would book up the stairs, but then I would go back down the stairs and wait for the next round of people to come and high five them on their way through because I understand what it feels like to not have anybody there doing that for me. A lot of things in my life I've had to do alone, unfortunately. A lot of things I've had to be my own mentor, be my own warrior, be my own champion, be my own superhero, you know? And I don't want that for anyone. I don't want what I feel inside to be like that for anyone else. So if I can support anyone, you know, from the founders of November Project all the way down to the the person who hasn't even shown up yet to any free fitness anywhere. I want to be someone that they can see as a light, that they can see as a beacon of hope, that we're not alone, right? We're not alone. We're not solitary creatures. We're a pack. So why don't we build a better pack, right? Why don't we build better friendships and and relationships and and let ourselves get to be known by other people and get to know other people by listening and taking action and and getting over that fear the first step? I mean, that's really what it is.
1: is. What does community mean to you?
0: It's everything. I don't have any of this. I don't know you. I'm not married. I don't even know if I'm still alive without community, without free, a free fitness community that allowed me in, that, that I knew I, I was going to have to carve out my own niche in, in this community to, to fit in and to stand out. And, and I just had this this yearning and this willingness and this this desire to, to fit into something in a world that I never felt I fit in anywhere. For so many reasons. The first time I ever showed up to the November Project, I was like, this is my shit. Like, this is the place that I can be a complete Yahoo and I completely fit in. Wow, where has this been my whole life?
1: What was that feeling like? (laughs)
0: You know, my first workout was the last time we ever met at the bottom of Summit Ave. So I get there and there's 40, 50, 60 people. And then you just hear this baritone booming voice and then this guy stands up and he's like a tyrannosaurus rex and this brogan graham and he's like hey we're too big we're too loud everybody use this as your your warm-up to get up to cory hill park and i was home
1: and then what man
0: and then you did three hills and i was like i don't want to do this (laughs) the hell did i come here for and then i was like wow that was good Right. And the people were good and people were welcoming and inviting and, and um, connecting. Right. We were all connecting. We were all from different places, backgrounds. I, I was 39 when I started. I mean, I was older than probably half the people showing up at that point. And they treated me like I was one of them. They treated me like I mattered. They treated me like I counted. They listened to me. They high-fived me on the way up the hill. I didn't have to do all the high-fiving. I wanted to, but people were high-fiving me. People were saying, great job, because I was slow as molasses for a long time getting up that hill.
1: So we share the need for connection. And in that light, the beginning of the pandemic was very challenging for me. I imagine it was for you as well. Um, I crave this connection so much so that I started Podcasting more, And I did fourteen episodes in the first ten days. <laughs> I was just like, I need this to stay alive and to stay sane and to stay like engaged. Things have changed a lot since then, and a lot since our last you know real catch up uh, to almost two full years ago now. I'm curious about the last two years for you. What's for someone who who thrives and survives from this community? What, what's life been like for Alan in the last couple of years? I've had
0: to learn to adapt and change. I've had to learn to allow myself to feel right. To, to understand that we were only going to be able to do so much. We were only going to be able to be around so many people. Like I was going to have to adapt or die. I was going to have to adapt to the situation we were in. And so, you know, thankfully Elizabeth, me and Trevor, my stepson, were all together for a hundred days. Right, so he was homeschooling with us, like usually he's every other week with us and every other week with his dad, but unfortunately, the pandemic happened, and he was with us right they, they I was March sixteenth I think or march i think March sixteenth was that day that they they had decided that the kids weren't going to come back. the kids weren't going to come back to school, and so we became a family, we became a unit, like the best time of my life like the we sold our house, we moved to New Hampshire in the pandemic, after 100 days of getting to know each other as a family that we'd never had before, it gave me a new kind of understanding about what a real community is, even starting in your own home, you know, and being together every moment of every day, right? We even ordered groceries from the store, right? It was one of those things where we were together all the time, and that's hard for me. I have a hard time with people. I have a hard time being touched. I have a hard time being told I love you. I have a hard time being around others a lot. And so for me to allow myself to let my family truly love me intimately next to me for all that time, I had to grow up. I had to mature. I had to let go of a lot of my past and a lot of the pain from my past to allow me to truly adapt and change and grow and get through it. It wasn't going to happen any other way.
1: So you're a better person today than uh, two years ago?
0: I'm in a lot more pain. I'm in a lot more emotional pain. I'm in a lot more, I'm allowing myself to be more vulnerable. I mean, my body's in apoplexy. I mean, all these things are because you do the uncomfortable things to never truly be alone. Right, right. I was good at being alone. I was good at November Project. I was good at all those things, but I was missing something. Right, I was missing the most important community of all—a family. And that was the hardest thing. Allowing Elizabeth into my life was the hardest thing. Allowing her stepson to love me, allowing somebody else like that to love me when when nobody could do that for me in my life. Nobody could be that kind of person for me in my life. You know, I always wanted a mentor. I always wanted someone to to show me the ropes. But unfortunately, that person just didn't exist. So I had to do that for myself. And to be a positive role model to my stepson, I'm not his friend, I'm here to teach him. I'm here to set an example that he can look at so that he can be a strong man, whatever that means to him as he moves forward. So like the past two years, that place became our, our fortress of solitude, right? Six Warner Lane in Westminster, on this awesome hill, we had this, we had this backyard where we could let the dog run around. Trevor could run around, we were playing frisbee, all this stuff. this this place became more than a house to us, and we had to sell it. We had to we had to make a hard decision because the market was so ripe, there was too much equity in it not to sell it and start again. And so that's that was a huge thing. And then moving into her parents' basement while we sold, while we bought, and to see her dad, basically fade away to almost nothing. And he died just a month and a half after we left. So yeah, there has been a a shit ton of shit that's been thrown at me. And the one thing that I I can always count on is that inner voice that says, hey, slow down, calm down, relax. It's not the end of the world. And that's taken me 40 plus years to allow myself to have that kind of inner dialogue as an adult that says, it's gonna get better. It's going to get better.
1: So you're talking to Alan of 30 years ago. Whew, what are you saying to him? <laughs> Just keep fighting. Keep that grit. Be grateful.
0: Be thankful that you're still here, that you didn't die when you were 11. You know, I, I committed suicide at 11 years old uh, in my bedroom. I started in the bathroom. I used a karate belt, tied it around my neck until my face was the color of a uh, eggplant. I wasn't coming back. My mother had made me feel that I didn't matter. She had made me feel that she didn't love me. And I had come to a conclusion that if there's no love here, then why am I here? And that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. But I got through it. God saved my life. He spared my life. He asked for my help. He said, you don't just get to come home. There's too much to do. You got such a strong spirit. You got big balls. Do something with them. Don't just sit around and whine and complain take some action, and so I try to take action every day. I try to take action every day to be an example for my younger self, if, if he could see me, that he'd be proud of, that he would learn from, and he'd be thankful for.
1: Wow, uh, thank you for sharing that, first of all. Um,
0: A few years back, you know, back when we were hanging out at November Project, probably wouldn't have been able to have it that peacefully. It would probably have been a lot more crying, probably a lot more, uh, you know, inability. I probably, you know, you wouldn't have been able to hear because I'd have been sobbing. But I, I've, I've let go of that, that kid that, that felt that way.
1: How did you get there? Right? Because the reason I ask is um, after our first conversation, I had a lot of people reach out and be like, wow, Alan's story, that's me. Uh, we talked about the same thing, I, or I talked about this on the episode I did with Brett Biggert um, down in Austin, where he talked about his experience with alcohol and how it impacted him and how life 20 years ago, 15 years ago was, was for him. And, and sharing his story allows people to feel some sense of normalcy. Um, a little earlier, we talked about how how life is related to running and running is related to life, the way you just described the grit, the tenacity, like, that's how you finish a marathon. That's how you PR a marathon. And so we're seeing the, the dichotomy between running and life and life and running. And it's what I love about this sport, this podcast, and these types of conversations that, like, there's so much that we can learn in one arena that, on its own, who cares if you run a marathon? Who cares if you run 300 sections of Harvard Stadium? it's what happens with that experience that people care about. It's how you connect with people. It's the, the stories that, that you make from, you know, climbing up the Grand Canyon with, with Tony, you know, for example, and, and how that impacted our friendship and our ability to believe in ourselves. That's the shit that matters, right? Who cares if, you know, you run sub three or sub four, sub seven, like, I was having a conversation with uh, Peter Bromka about this, and he's run 219 and change. He's like, nobody, it's irrelevant. It's the story of getting there. And for him, it's the story of not getting there, not getting under 219. But it's it's that story that's interesting. And and how do you, how do you take something that you're not getting paid for, that you're not um, competing for, it's just for your own personal joy and fulfillment, and all the other fun stuff that, you know, you get to do along the way. Um, now I'm forgetting what the question was. <laughs> How did I get there? How did you get there? Yes. Thank you.
0: Well, before you met me in 2010, I, I had another epiphany in my life and I was 265 pounds and I wasn't happy. I was living in Watertown. It was uh, January 4th, 2010 at 1035 AM. I remember it Exactly. I, had, I basically came to the end of my rope. I was either going to kill myself or I was going to heal myself. I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, is this all I have to offer myself? Is this all I have to offer the world around me? And thankfully, the answer I said was no. And so from that moment, my life was my responsibility. It was ultimately, I had to hold myself accountable and it was ultimately my fault if I didn't do something more healthy with my life from that moment forward. My mantra became, be better than yesterday and move forward. And so from every day from that moment on January 4th at 1035 has been my fault, mine. I'm not a victim anymore of my past. I'm not a victim of my family. I'm not a victim of my circumstances before that moment where I realized my life was my responsibility. All of that stuff I had to look at. I had to look at what's my fault? What could I control? What was out of my control? And once I realized that most of the stuff was out of my control, I could actually start to... You know, to take off bite-sized pieces and and get down to who Alan was and who Alan wants to be. Who is Alan Shearer? What does he represent? And how does he present himself to the world? That's what it became. Right. I, I went to the gym, I got a membership at Workout World, I went to Sports Authority and I got a pair of running shoes and I started moving forward into my life.
1: If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare ninety seconds of your time today, Can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Freedom Solar Power for supporting this episode of the podcast and our environment by providing an easy green energy source. The buying process was fascinating and eye-opening and I'm excited to pay my learnings forward. If you're curious about going solar in your home, message me on Twitter or Instagram and I'd be happy to help your journey by providing some great resources. Freedom Solar is a full-service solar company that's been installing solar panels and backup power systems since 2007. They operate in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida. Not in any of those states? Don't fret, my parents have the same panels from SunPower that were installed by a different company in Massachusetts. SunPower is the best in the business, and that's what Freedom Solar uses. I've enjoyed working with the whole team over at Freedom Solar, and I'm sure you will too. Thanks again to Hydro for supporting the podcast. I've been enjoying my Hydro to fit in bonus cardio that doesn't take much time at all, as even a 10- to 15-minute row feels like a solid workout. It's a fun experience to be able to row on familiar routes or explore new ones on the water. Head to hydro.com, that's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com to learn more. Be sure to use the code FTLR100 to save $100 on your order. I'm grateful for the long-term support I've received, and I'm continuing to receive from Tracksman. Every so often, they ask me to help share some of the cool stuff that they're up to or that they're supporting. So I thought you'd be interested in hearing more about the Legacy of Speed podcast with Malcolm Gladwell. Legacy of Speed follows the transformation of a San Jose State track program in the 1960s. What started out as a second-tier state college no one outside of California had ever heard of quickly became known as the home to Speed City. The guidance of one coach and his unconventional techniques launched the careers of the fastest sprinters of the day. Host Malcolm Gladwell, a competitive runner himself, traces the journey of those sprinters who went on to ignite a boycott movement and protest the 1968 Summer Olympics. Malcolm talks to Olympic athletes, sports journalists, performance coaches, and documentarians. And you'll hear from some of the best runners of all time, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, and Lee Evans. It's a story about athletes who dared to take a stand and the mentors who made them fast and brave enough to change the world. You, you said, who is Alan? Who does Alan want to be? Who does Alan want to become? One of the questions, or the question that I've started to ask at the beginning of this podcast, because I was lazy initially and didn't want to do intros or read intros, is who is, insert guest name here? And it's fascinating how people answer that question. And some people say, oh, I'm a runner, I'm a this, I'm a that. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And others you get their story in the first sentence. And, and the defining yourself or identifying yourself is something that like people just don't do. They just, oh, I'm a guy that runs and I live in blah, 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 blah. Um, long preamble to, to the question of who, who is Alan? Well, Alan is now. I am now.
0: My own best friend, my own judge, my own police officer. You know, I I can't. I'm I'm my own healer as much as I can be. You know, I'm. I do everything in my power to be as healthy as I possibly can, so that I can be here as long as I can. Like you're going to have to take me kicking and screaming now. Before I would have died, I would have left. It was fine. I didn't really care. This place sucked. God, what the hell? Why why am I still here? Why do you make me do this? Why do you want me here? Why did you save my life? This is why. This man on this podcast, the reason I said, "Hey, Jonathan, let's talk again," is because there is something to say. There is something valuable inside of me. There is a fire. There is a passion, there is a purpose, and I want to help other people. You know, We moved to the Keene area. We live in Swansea, but Keene's the kind of hub over here. You know, we brought free fitness here, right? I've been trying for six years to bring November Project to wherever we lived, in North Central Mass, and now out here to Keene. Why? Because I know what it is now. I know how purposeful it is now, that I can give that back, right? It was so much for me. It created friendships, relationships, a marriage. Yes, I ran 300 sections of Harvard Stadium. I did 30 miles of Summit Ave. I learned about myself in those moments, right? It never started the way it ended. It never ended the way it started. But along that road, I was able to inspire, motivate, and appreciate what that was for myself and for everyone else who got to run beside me as they showed up for the November Project Wednesday morning workout or the November Project Friday morning workout in Boston, the mothership, whatever. It's the message. The message is we can all do this and none of us have to do it alone, nor should we try to. We can get together and move together without worrying about if we're gonna be left behind or left out or not accepted or excluded. Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing as people if we're hiding from each other? What are we doing for ourselves if we're hiding from ourselves? Yes, it's scary. Togetherness is scary. Sharing is scary. That's why it's so important. Like, what can we do? Like, if we became November Project Keen, it would be wonderful. But it doesn't have to be November Project Keen for it to be special, for it to be valuable, for it to matter, and for it to work. Really, it's it's how can I get to meet other people? How did I meet anybody in Boston? I met people in Boston because I showed up to a workout at 6.29 a.m. at Harvard Stadium, or I showed up at 629 on Summit Ave in Brookline that Jonathan knows all too well. Like, that's what it's about, right? How I met you, why we're talking. The scary things are the best things.
1: Yeah, totally agree. It's, um, I like what you said there. The way you start is not the way you end and the way you end is not the way you start. It's so true. And again, that's like, it's true in life. It's true in running. Um. Curious about another thing that I like talking about on, on the podcast um, success. How do you define success? It's different now, right?
0: I, I think as, as a, as a younger person and with all the bullshit we're fed on a daily basis, we think success is a shit ton of money and, you know, a great job or whatever, all that stuff, right? Stuff. Now it's, I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed to touch other people's lives. I'm blessed to have the courage to allow other people to bless my life. And I couldn't do that if I chose to stay alone. I learned how to be good alone. From 2010, I learned how it was, how important it was, and all those steps it took to be okay just as myself. And that actually gave me the courage to let someone in but just to be her friend. I never thought any of this stuff would happen with Elizabeth. I just thought she was worth knowing. I felt she was worth getting to know, having conversations, spending time with. It never dawned on me that I could love her as much as I do, that I could want to see her shine so brightly every day beside me and me beside her. Like, I never saw that in my life. All I ever saw was dysfunction. I didn't see marriages that that last. And the ones that I did, I didn't see enough of to know the other side of it and how they get through it. What are the tough things and how do they get through it? What are the tough things? How do they become friends? You know, how do they pick each other up? How do they support each other when shit hits the fan? Right. So all of that stuff I had to learn on the fly. I had to learn all these things on the fly. Because I didn't really have good examples in my life. But that didn't mean I should reflect all of that. For a long time I did. I just reflected all of that, that dysfunction in my life and who I was allowed to be in my own home. And today, the man I am today, the success that I have today is because I bring it to the table every day to support myself, to support my family, and to support anyone that will allow me to support them as they struggle to find who they are, where they want to be, and what they want to do.
1: I love that definition of success and growth, uh, more importantly. Um, It's been fascinating to watch your journey. I can't pretend to know much or all of it. um, But from where I see it, or the way I saw it, it was a guy who was using fitness as a way to figure out confidence. Is that, a, is that a, an accurate assessment?
0: Yeah. And, and it was easier at November Project. I could, I, could, I could strive to succeed at November Project. I wasn't as fast as most people, but you weren't going to outwork me. <laughs> That's true. You weren't going to outwork me. And I remember the first time I told, because the first time I ever did a lot of hills was because Brogan threw out this stupid blast. And then he was probably three sheets to the wind at that point. Who wants to run 15 hills with me tomorrow morning? And I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> and unfortunately, that night before, I got drunk. The The Red Sox pitchers had all come up to Jerry Remy's roof deck. And I worked at Jerry Remy's. And so I'm plowing one on. And next thing I know, I pass out at 1.30. I wake up at 2.45 with the... With the Drunk sweats. I get in my car and I drive over to the hill. Because I know 12.63 miles, which is 15 frontal hills, is going to take me forever. (laughs) Forever. Because I was still, I wasn't a hill runner at that point. I was still, it was still, it was like three weeks into my November project career, my November project life. And he's coming down and I'm coming up right? He's on, he's on as many as I am, and I've been there since 3.30 in the morning, all right? So, man, you know, it's just, nobody's going to outwork me, ever. What does that mean? That I'm, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it all out there. It may take me, it took me seven hours to run 30 miles of hills, 37.5 frontal repeats, that i started at 3:30 a.m. on may 3rd, 2013 as a tribute to what had happened at the boston marathon to help raise money for kids with mental illness and to prove that i fit to prove that i could fit in this group of elite athletes who there was a lot of them at the time that i could fit in this group on my own terms in my own time right i could do this thing that was extremely difficult and hard And I could put one foot in front of the other. And all that I had to do was get through that time. I ran 27 hills. I walked
1: 10. What was your first thought when you finished? Besides, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. It was hard, right?
0: It was depressing. It was extremely depressing. It was hard because I-
1: I, Why was it depressing?
0: Because I followed through. What's next? What's next? I did this. Nobody else has done this. Nobody else ever will do this. Let's just say that. There's not another human being on this planet who's like, I'm gonna go run Summit AB 37.5 times. No, because it's ludicrous. And that's my mental illness, right? As bad as my mental illness is, it also gives me that. It gives me the manic ability to find another level.
1: So when you can't run, how do you how do you rectify that?
0: I've had to calm down a lot. <laughs> I've,
1: had to,
0: I've had to I've had to realize that I'm injured. I've had to realize that I can't go full bore. I just can't. And an older wiser Alan understands that. An older wiser Alan, I want to be able to do something tomorrow. And if that means using the fan bike, if that means walking at a 15 degree grade for 25 minutes. And doing something, doing the best I can right now with with what I'm capable of doing has to be enough. Otherwise, I will destroy the world. I will just take a flamethrower to this place if I don't have something to do physically for myself so that I can be more available to the people who need me, the communities that need me, and be the kind of man I need to be for myself in the same token.
1: Did you ever doubt that you wouldn't finish that run?
0: No, because I had done 33 hills. I wanted to get to 37. I just, I hadn't, I was just doing it. I didn't bring any nutrition. I didn't, a lot of things I didn't do. So I promised myself that I would do the 30 miles. I promised myself that. Like I had done 33 hills, but I needed to get 37.5 hills done. 30 miles of that hill. Cause that hill wasn't going to own me. I was going to own it. Like there should be a damn sign at the bottom of that thing that says, Alan was here. Alan didn't give up on himself. He followed through on something he said he was going to do. And I still went to work after that.
1: <laughs> what, did, what did that symbolize for you? For me? Yeah.
0: That symbolized that anybody can do anything if they put their mind and their body to it. But do it, you know, I, I, I didn't overrun. Like, I didn't do my first hill, like, as fast as I possibly could. I knew it was going to be long and hard and vigorous the whole time. And then I, if I could just get through it, my, like, my mind was going to be the hardest thing to get past. My mind was going to be the thing that was going to get in the way the most. And all I kept saying to myself was, that's one less, that's one less. Look at all these people high-fiving you. Boyan meets me, he's, I'm just puffing and puffing and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, hey, Boyan, how you doing? And I'm just going up the hill. And then, and then I look over and, and Brogan's like, here, drink this coffee. And I'm like, Brogan, I can't drink any coffee right now. You're ridiculous. I got to keep going. And so it was my family. From 2012 to 2014, November Project, the mothership was my family. Brogan and Boyan were my brothers. You were my brother. We could count on each other to be there for each other. Man, that, uh, I think, you know, it's not drinking the Kool-Aid. All right, drinking the Kool-Aid is just showing up when it's popular and it's cool, right? We were there and we were building it. We were building it together. We were supporting each other through all of the things. That's, that's the most amazing thing about this conversation is we built a friendship. We built a relationship on a hill, on some stairs, run, deck, run, whatever. It, none of that shit mattered. It was that we were there for each other, that we chose to show up, that we didn't just turn over in our bed. Yeah, there's a lot of times where we did just turn over in our bed and not show up. But for the most part, we were there very, very often because we we understood the value in what we were creating
1: together. I can't remember who I was having this conversation with, but it was recent. Oh, it was uh, Nell Rojas um, yesterday at the the Boulder Run Club that we do with Inside Tracker, and she was talking about how consistency is the most important thing and it's really the only thing that matters. And you can miss something here and there, but as long as you're doing the work consistently and repeatedly, it doesn't even have to be great. It just has to be good or even just average. But a lot of average or a lot of good makes something great. And I think that's the that's the beauty of what you just described there that like the consistency built built a pretty damn strong boat that allowed us to Sail, sail the waters of the Charles and, and you know the Boston fitness community at, at that time. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, at the time, there was nothing like it. And there's still nothing like it. But there was really nothing like it at the time. And I was just finding myself as a runner and as an athlete, finding my own version of confidence. And it was sort of jaded as a mid-20-year-old. I guess you're confident and cocky by default. <laughs> in that definition, but, um, yeah, man, what a cool, what a cool time. And it made, it made me who I am today for sure. And, and for you likewise.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, life is built on showing up. Life is built on what's that thing going on. Let me just go check it out. You know, Trying to build free fitness here in Keene is is very difficult. It's it's the burbs. Even though it's a city, it's still the burbs. It's a college town, but it's still this kind of weird, different thing that's not like Boston. It's not like Austin. It's not like LA, all those things, right? There's 330-something people in our social group page on Facebook, and we get average five, 10 people at a workout. So they're watching right? And I think I'm over talking. I think I'm over, I'm trying to oversell something that really sells itself, you know, but I, I, I'm really passionate about getting to know everyone. I'm really passionate about getting to understand people's stories. And I can't do that from afar, right? None of us can really do that part from afar. We really can't listen to somebody from afar. And so I've, I've started working at Ted's uh, shoe and sport, which, you know, is the local run store. And I'm getting to know the 95% of our customers aren't runners. They're people with foot problems. Most of the people who come to our store come from the podiatrist. So I get to help people people's feet feel better. Like that's the greatest thing. That's worthwhile. You know, I love helping runners. and I, But when you put a person in a pair of good shoes that's going to help them, help their feet feel better, that, that joy... That that just that feeling. There's there's nothing better than that kind of a thing. Having that kind of an impact on someone's life who just walked in the door for a pair of
1: shoes. I had a conversation with Joe Holder on the podcast uh, last summer, I think. And one of the things we talked about, or a comment I made, was, "Damn, Joe, you've got like 150,000 people following you on Instagram. Isn't it cool that you have such an impact on so many people?" It's like, man, I don't care about 150,000 people. If I could help one person, I've done my job. Do you ever reflect on it that way as well? Sure. I can't help the people
0: who don't show up. I can hope to. Like, I have this deep desire to help those people because I know what it did for me. I know it's showing up and just moving, right? Moving together what that has done for me. Those people that show up, they make my day the best day of my life being able to high-five someone, being able to say, I'm glad you're here, thank you for showing up, let's move today, like the rainy day yesterday and four people showed up, there's nothing better than weatherproof. There's nothing better than realizing we're weatherproof and we're not gonna melt. We bitch and moan and whine and complain about everything, but remember as kids when we liked to splash around in the puddle, we got to do that.
1: I got out for a run yesterday and it was 40 and raining. And I was like, man, I remember when this didn't, I didn't have a second thought about this. Just get out the door. And I got out the door. I was like, fuck yeah, this is right. this. I love this. This right. is great. And I had a killer workout. And then I got home. I took a shower and it was sunny. <laughs> I was like, if only I had waited 90 minutes. Yeah, but <laughs> would you wouldn't have, have felt easier. the same way, right? You wouldn't have felt exactly. the same way. It might have been
0: harder to get out. Once the sun came out, right? If you had exactly. quit on yourself in that moment, it would have been harder to con- convince yourself because how hard we are on ourselves, right? That thing, we're supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to have it under control. We don't need anybody's help. We've got this. It's that kind of stuff that makes it hard to show up for other people because you're afraid they're going to want something you you don't have to offer. But really, when you show up, we're going to give you everything we have to offer like you get to take that in right as a newbie for November project you remember your first day of November
1: project yeah
0: how that felt to you to be engulfed in that positive energy yeah is there anything better
1: it was pretty awesome right. it, was, it was pretty awesome it was pretty pretty shocking as well
0: right nice it is uh, shocking right it is shocking yeah. cuz we're not we're not used to that we're not used to people inviting us in we're used to people pushing us away and i think that's the ultimate goal from any free fitness project, free fitness thing is, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's, we're not supposed to be serious. Like we're not supposed to take ourselves so damn seriously. We're supposed to be thankful that we get to work out with someone who's never worked out before and thankful we get to work out with someone who's just run a hundred four marathons in 104 days if she ever showed if, if runner jackie ever showed up here right <laughs> it's like whatever like it doesn't matter who they are and what they've done it matters that they're here beside us and we get to absorb a little bit of them and they get to absorb a little bit of us and smile and eye contact and blah 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 i mean really that's that's what it's all about
1: That was a nice shout-out to – I'm trying to find the episode number with Jackie. I think it was like 90-something. Was it 104? Did
0: she settle on 104 days? Was it 100? So it
1: was episode 91, but 104 marathons. In 104 days. In 104 days. So when she was somewhere around 90, uh, somebody – another woman had beat her to first to 100. So she's like, I'm doing 102. And then uh, I think it was RX Bar – Committed to matching a $104,000 donation if she ran 104. So she ran 104. But yeah, talk about showing up and talk about putting one foot in front of the other and just getting it done. I mean, that's, that's how you do it, one foot in front of the other. It's like these are the words that I was saying to myself as I was climbing up the, the South Kaibab Trail, the Grand Canyon. And I was at the, the lowest physical point I'd ever been at in my life. I was like, one foot in front of the other.
0: Yeah, that's all you can do. The last 50 sections of Harvard Stadium. If you've already done 250, (laughs) and it's just the mind fuck of your life, so I had to switch it up. So I counted out the last 10 sections, and I did five. I think it was 28. Five of 28. Five of 29. Five of 30. And then Sean Pryor showed up, and Scott Champagne showed up, and that helped. And the Boston Breakers women's soccer team was behind us, and we're just giggling and laughing. And that helped me, right? If I was alone through the whole thing, it might have gotten a lot darker and a lot harder to get even probably through the last 20. Again, it's about community. It's about people actually giving a shit about you who you may not even know give a shit about you showing up. Right. And 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 that's that's the community, right? That's that's how we. Become a family. That's how we become supportive of each other. Is to show up when nobody else is going to show up.
1: Alan, this has been fun. I knew it would be. Uh, I had no idea where we were going to go with this. Uh, with this round two. My last question for you is: What's the the mantra that that Alan lives by?
0: Well, I mean, you know, as I was getting here, it's kind of changed. You know, it started out as be better than yesterday and move forward. And now it's be, be an example of my younger self and younger people or older people or just people who come into contact with me can, can be proud, can be proud to support, can be proud to uh, experience, can be proud to call friend, call husband, call stepfather, call son, brother, grandchild. You know, I want to be someone worth knowing.
1: Love it. Where can we follow you if, uh, if we're not following you on social?
0: Sure, my main feed on Instagram is at stigmafighter. Shearer. Uh, it's the same for for Facebook. If, you know I, I have or you can go to a dot com if you want photography services or you want to buy a piece of my original artwork before I'm dead. Uh, Because it seems that nobody buys anybody's art until they've passed on. And so there's a lot of living artists, including me out there, who should be supported. And Jonathan actually has my work somewhere in in his house. Um, You can can find me there. You can email me there. You can do all those things. Uh, If you need to reach out, if you need support, if you don't have anybody else, reach out to me and I will be there for you. It doesn't matter what your story is. It matters that you have a story.
1: Alan, thanks for being you and, uh, and, and for everything that you bring to the world and continue to bring to the world and the fact that you're here. So, um, looking forward to the day we can run together again and, uh, and we'll see you out there. Thanks, Jonathan. I really appreciate you too. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village.